I told you Sunday night in the prayer meeting that I was going to be doing a series on the Trinity. This is way over my head. Um, I want you to know that I have no places where I plan to stop. We're just going to stop. I just, as the Lord just tells us or shows me, this is this is good for tonight. We're just going to stop there. We're going to pick up in the weeks to come where we leave off. We're, we will not get through this in a few weeks. Um, it is really... Uh, it's an amazing thing to to just study God, and I and and there's nowhere else we can study God, but in that place where God has revealed Himself, and that is His Word. It's an amazing thing. I, I was telling some friends today at lunch. I said, you know, when you get into this subject of the Trinity or anything, when whenever somebody is embracing a lie. It is amazing how quickly they have to get away from the Bible and they have to get into other writings and other books and other uh, men's thoughts and bring those things in uh, to try to establish something because the Bible doesn't establish it. But when you're in the truth, you can just stay in the Bible. And it's so wonderful, guys, that it's simple. Now, I'm just telling you from the very beginning I'm glad I'm simple. I just believe what it says. I don't, I don't need to know Greek and Hebrew to be a scholar to know the Bible and to know the intent of God. Now, those that know Greek and Hebrew, you know, they may know some deeper things, but they don't know anything I don't know. And there's no information that they have access to that I cannot know just by reading the Bible. And so I take it very simply. I take the Bible for what it says. And not only do we have the Bible, but we have the Holy Ghost. And apart from the Holy Spirit, we cannot know the things of God. He is the means by which they are revealed. Now I want to read a a verse to you. Jesus said this. He rejoiced in spirit. And he said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent. And has revealed them unto babes. So I want to be a babe. That's who God reveals things to. Even so, Father, for it it seemed good in your sight. All things are delivered to me of my Father. And no, no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father. And who the Father is but the Son. And he to whom the Son will reveal him. And so... You don't just happen upon this to have a a right view of God and a right view of the Father and a right view of the Son. Jesus tells us very clearly it comes by revelation. Revelation being the Word of God and certainly that which the Holy Spirit gives us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Paul said, Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, And that no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. And so it just demands an inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And this is what I mean by that. There might be people who theologically have something correct, but they don't know it. I mean, it's it's in their heads, but they don't know it experientially. And it's very important to know God. Now... We will spend most of our time just looking in the Scriptures. We're going to have an awesome Bible study over the next few weeks, just looking in the Bible as to what the Bible says about the person of God. And and so I just want you to to know that. I will read some things from some people just for, uh, I think, benefit and insight and the things that God had given them. But our primary study to establish anything will not be the thoughts of man. It'll just be the Bible. This is what the Bible says. So I want you to understand that. Now, before we get into that, I just want to make a statement that Tozer wrote in his book, The Mystery of the Holy. And he said, There is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Ghost. And I'm reading this because it expresses a Trinitarian belief. And most people do not understand Trinitarianism that are not Trinitarian. And Trinitarianism is simply those that believe that the Godhead is Father, Son, Holy Ghost. 
Three separate but yet one being. All right. They misunderstand it because they try to understand God in human terms, which is impossible. But they try to do that. And so they're much like a Calvinist. And a Calvinist automatically assumes things about you if you're not a Calvinist. And so if you're not Calvinist, then you're all of this. And that's just ludicrousy. You know, but that's what they assume and that's what they think. So I'm reading this because it gives a, a good definition of what a Trinitarian is in their essence. There's one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Ghost. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost is all one. The glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son. And such is the Holy Ghost, the Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, the Holy Ghost uncreated, the Father incomprehensible, the Son incomprehensible, and the Holy Ghost incomprehensible, the Father eternal, the Son eternal, and the Holy Ghost eternal. And yet, they are not three eternals, but one eternal. As there are not three uncreated, nor three incomprehensibles, but one uncreated and one incomprehensible. So likewise, the Father is almighty, the Son is almighty, and the Holy Ghost is almighty. And yet there are not three almighties, but one almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Ghost is God. And yet there are not three gods, but one God. So likewise, the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, and the Holy Ghost is Lord. And yet, not three lords, but one Lord. And in this trinity, none is before or after another. None is greater or less than another. But the whole three persons are co-eternal together and co-equal. So that in all things, as is aforesaid, the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is to be worshipped. And that's why we can worship Jesus. That's why we can worship God the Father and God the Holy Ghost. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he tells us here in verse 9, as it's written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man, The things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them to us by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knows no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. And so I want us to understand, hopefully you get this, it's very clear. Nobody knows what's going on in you, but the spirit that's in you. You know, I mean, you can come up and tell me something. You might mean something else in your heart. I don't know that, but you know what you really mean. Well, God knows himself, and nobody knows God unless God reveals that to man. It's impossible for that which is finite to grasp that which is infinite. Absolutely impossible. So I want to give you six points that I think are notable as we begin to move into this subject of the Trinity. Number one, God cannot be explained or understood by our capacity. We demand help from God to know God. We demand that. So we cannot explain him. Somebody came and asked me the other day. They just sat down with me and they said, can you explain to me the Trinity? And I said, I am very happy to tell you that I cannot. Because if I could explain that to you, he's not much. I cannot. He's beyond me. He surpasses me. He's not just above me. He transcends me. And he transcends you. And so we must understand that. When we try to imagine what God is like, we must of necessity use that 
which is not God, as the raw materials for our minds to work on. Hence, whatever we visualize God to be, He is not, that is not, God. For we have constructed our image out of that which He has made. And what He has made is not God. If we insist upon trying to imagine Him, we end with an idol. Made not with hands, but with thoughts. And an idol of the mind is as offensive to God as an idol of the hand. Left to ourselves, we tend immediately to reduce God to manageable terms. We want to get Him where we can use Him. Or at least know where He is when we need Him. We want a God we can in some measure control. We need the feeling of security that comes from knowing what God is like. And what he is like is, of course, a composite of all the religious pictures we've seen, all the best people we have known or heard about, and all the sublime ideas we have entertained. If all this sounds strange to modern ears, it is only because we have, for a full half century, taken God for granted. The glory of God has not been revealed to this generation of men. The God of contemporary Christianity is only slightly superior to the gods of Greece and Rome. If indeed he is not actually inferior to them in that he is weak and helpless while at least they had power. If what we conceive God to be he is not, how then shall we think of him? If he is indeed incomprehensible as the creed declares him to be and unapproachable as Paul says he is. How can we Christians satisfy our longing for him? The hopeful words, acquaint now yourself with him and be at peace, still stand after the passing of centuries. But how shall we acquaint ourselves with one who eludes all the straining efforts of mind and heart? How can we be held accountable to know what cannot be known? Because it can be known. He can be known. In Christ... And by Christ, God effects complete self-disclosure. Although he shows himself not to reason, but to faith and love. Faith is the organ by which any man can ever know God. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is the complete expression of God. So for us to know God... We cannot look outside of Jesus. We cannot look outside of God. And so we must know him there. So number one, God cannot be explained or understood by our human capacities. He must be revealed. Number two, God's fingerprint is in creation. The evidence of God is in what God made. Now, God declared this. He said, the heavens declare the power of God. And so what God made declares God. What God has made has not come out of God. It's come from God. But it didn't come out of him. God's not in everything. It all came out of nothing as God decreed it into existence. But it didn't come out of him. It came by him. Please understand that. But when God created, he left his fingerprint upon creation. And we're going to go into this in the weeks to come so that you will see this. But to understand God as his fingerprint or where he's left his mark in creation, for the sake of time tonight, you can just look at yourself. And I choose the human to look at for just a moment. Because the Bible of all things God has made, God declared that he made man in his image. So if anything has the fingerprint of God, then man ought to have it the most clear. What that image of God is, God is a trinity. He is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Now, whatever we have here to try to understand God, the best it can be, is a shadow. Please understand that. Please understand it. The best thing that we have on this planet to try to perceive God, if there is anything, that fingerprint, 
is only a shadow of what he really is. It is not an exact duplicate. It does not give a perfect revelation. Jesus Christ is the full disclosure of God. He is the express image of the invisible God. You and I aren't. But you are a trinity. And that is the fingerprint of God in your life. You are, by the Bible's admission, you are body, soul, and spirit. That's what you are. And body, soul, and spirit can be separated. It can be. They are divisible, but you are an indivisible being. And God is a trinity. He is divisible, but he is an indivisible being. And what I mean by that is there are three personalities of the Godhead. There is the Father. There is the Son. There is the Holy Ghost. The Father is not the Son. And the Son is not the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is not the Father. They're indivisible in their their union together. Because if any part of that Godhead were removed, then God would cease to be God. He would cease to be just like you and just like me. If any part of us were tampered with and a part of us were removed, we would cease to be what we are right now. If you were to separate your soul from your body, then you would cease to be as you are. We change, though. That happens to us. We are a defective trinity because of the fall. We are corrupt. But I am what you see. But I am also who is inside of me. My soul is who I am. My body is who I am. And my spirit is who I am. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that the Bible possesses the power to separate soul and spirit. There can be a separation in the three things that make up you as a human being and as a person. Now, because we are fallen and corrupt in our essence and nature, we're constantly changing. Your body will die and you will cease to be what you are right now. The redemption of the body is very important in the theology of Christianity. It will be raised up in a glorified state and your trinity, yourself, will be restored back to you when you meet Jesus in the air. But God, and as it concerns God, the Bible beautifully tells us that God is immutable. That just simply means he never changes. He never changes. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. That just simply means there are three persons of the Godhead. You and I will never divide. You will never come between that unity. You will never separate it. God will never change in his essence and in his being as the Godhead. Nothing else will ever be added to that Godhead, and nothing else will ever be taken from it. Nobody who's ever been redeemed will ever be allowed into the Godhead. Although we are allowed into his body, we're not ever going to be God. That belongs to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Those three, that is his fingerprint. You, you see it. We have no problem with a trinity. I don't know why anybody has a problem with God being a trinity. Because there's no problem with you sitting there shaking your head in agreement that you're a trinity. Your body, soul, and spirit. And God is a trinity. But don't try to imagine him like you. Because you're created, he's not. You're just a pitiful shadow of the image he made you like unto himself. Number three. God has revealed himself in the Bible. That's why we believe God's a trinity. He has revealed himself in the Bible. Number four, we believe that this trinity, three persons, are one singular God. We do not believe that there are three gods. There are not three gods. There are not three thrones in heaven. There's one God, one throne, but three persons. Can't wait to see him. Can't wait to see him. What he will be like. Number five. 
It is not necessary for me to understand the complexity of God. It is necessary for me to believe the revelation of God regarding His being. That's faith. It is not necessary for me to understand the complexity of God. It is only necessary for me to believe in the revelation of God regarding His being. What God declares Himself to be is what I must believe. And that faith comes by the help of the Holy Ghost. And six, and if you'd get this ready, Michael, up there, I have a, I have a short video. It's almost five minutes long, but this man did a very good presentation on the three persons of the Godhead. Before he starts that, just wait a second up there. I want to say, why are there three persons? Why is it a trinity? Why are there not four? Why are there not seven? Why are there not nine? As some people want to say, why are there not multiples? And the the simplicity of it is this. Because in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, there are only three personalities that are attributed with the attributes of God. Only three. That's why we confess a trinity. God has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. He didn't reveal himself. There's not a fourth personality in the Bible that has any attributes that belong sovereignly to God. Except for these three. We're going to go into these scriptures and we're going to look at them ourselves not all of them tonight, but we're going to look at these things as we go through these weeks about the Trinity. But I think it's so fascinating to just look into the Bible and see the revelation of God. Somebody said that, that the most important thing about a man is his thoughts of God. And a man in, in every aspect of his life or in his greatness, nothing surpasses what he thinks about God. And the only thing we can think about God is what God has revealed to us about himself. And just in the short time we've had tonight and looking at this uh, video that was up here and seeing the aspects of this, and we're going to go into all of these things. I wanted to state to you as we begin, which I think is very important. I want to give you the dangers of not believing in the Trinity and the Bible specifically refers to these dangers of not believing in the persons of the Godhead and and the revelation of God as he has made himself in the Bible. And so if you want to write these things down, you can. I'll give you the scriptures beside each point and then you can research this yourself. But the dangers of not believing in the Trinity, in the Father, in the Son, and in the Holy Ghost Number one, you will be guilty of false worship. You will be guilty of false worship. In the book of Revelation 19, verse 10, John fell at the feet of this person in heaven and John began to worship him. But this man said to John, see that you do it not. See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant. And of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. And here's the emphatic in the book of Revelation of who is to be worshipped. Worship God. It is very clear throughout all of the scriptures that if you worship anything other than God, that is idolatry. God said, you shall have no other gods before me. But you will find... In in Revelation, predominantly, and in other passages as well, Jesus Christ receiving worship from people. But here's a man who's been in heaven, and he's actually in some type of gloried state, and he's and he's he's John worships him, John, but and he stops him. Jesus never stopped anybody from worshiping him, and so it is important that we worship God. And if we're not worshiping God, if we're not worshiping Jesus as God, then we are guilty of false worship. Number two, if we do not believe in the Trinity as God has revealed himself, 
then we will be in danger of being lost. For we do not know Jesus as he tells us in regards to salvation. I'm going to read this passage to you. It's in John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so this is the danger of oneness theology. And oneness theology, I'll, I'll sum it up like this. Oneness theology believes that there's one being not in three persons. And so Jesus, when he was on earth, Jesus was completely Father, completely Son, and completely Holy Ghost. There's a danger to that because Jesus emphatically says in John 17, 3, this is eternal life. You better know these two be people. He doesn't say one. He says two. You better know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so eternal life is dependent upon you having a biblical understanding and knowledge of God the Father and Jesus Christ whom he sent. And that is, and you're going to see in just a moment... Who is Jesus? What is the record of God concerning the person of Jesus? Because if we don't believe that record of God concerning his son Jesus, we are in danger. We, we are in unbelief of the testimony of God. Do you understand me? You understand that? Number three, if a person is not believing the Trinity, then they are in danger. For according to John 1 verse 10... They are still of the world. Jesus said he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. And so if we don't know who Jesus is, then we're in the world. The world does not know who Jesus is. And so that's the danger of of a false theology in regards to the Godhead. Number four, they will not understand the Bible. John 5, 46 through 47. Jesus said, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So if you can't see who Moses was talking about, this Messiah that was to come... Is God himself, if you can't believe that, then how can you believe the words of Jesus? Everything else will come into question. Everything will come into question. About the blood, about redemption, about eternity. Everything will come into question. And you find that happens just like Jesus said. Number five, if you do not understand the Trinity as God has revealed himself, you cannot honor God. You cannot honor him. And I want you to read this with me. I'm going to be reading from John chapter 8. And I want you to see this. Because again, this is, this, these are the comments of Jesus regarding his father and himself. And listen, you know the intent of what Jesus is saying. Please stay with me. You know the intent of what Jesus is saying based upon the response of the Jews. All right? And so that's how you can tell what he's getting at. In verse 19. Then said they unto him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you neither know me nor my father. If you had known me, you should have known my father also. And so there's two. And you have to know them both to have eternal life. These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple. No man laid his hands on him. His hour was not yet come. Now, verse 23, he said to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I said, therefore, to you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am. Now, that word he was added But the actual Greek there is I am. That is the eternal name of God. Now, it it throws nothing off to put the word he there because it's the same Elohim of I am that Jesus says. I, 
that if you believe not that Elohim is me, then that's it. You shall die in your sins. That's very important, isn't it? As it concerns eternal life. You can't mess up on this. You've got to know. You've got to understand. Then said they to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say to you. I have many things to say and to judge of you. But he that sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spoke to them of the Father. Then said Jesus to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. For I do always those things that please him. I think any child reading this, and that's, listen, I don't care how brilliant a person is. I like simplicity. And I think any child reading this could understand that Jesus is not schizophrenic. He understands that his father is another. He's not speaking of himself. He's speaking of his father as another And he is in absolute unity with him. And then he says, if you'll go down to verse 52. Then said the Jews to him. Because he said, before Abraham was, I am. Then said the Jews to him, now we know that you have a devil. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And you say, if a man keep my sayings. He shall never taste of death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead? Whom makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his sayings. Your father Abram rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews to him, you're not yet 50 years old. And you and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. I am. And there's no e, there's no he after I am there. It was added in all of the other places as well. Before Abraham was, I am. And they took up stones to cast at him. Because, But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. And so if you don't understand the person of Jesus, then you can't honor God with Jesus whom he sent and who he is. Number six, if you do not believe in the Trinity, you will be guilty of the same sin as the Jewish leaders. In John chapter 10, just turn over a chapter and look at verse 30. Jesus said, I and my father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him saying, for a good work we stone you not, but for blasphemy. And because that thou, being a man, makes thyself God. And so they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They knew the intent that Jesus met. Number seven, you will live an unprofitable life. Jesus said in John six twenty-eight through 29, They said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God. That you believe in him whom he sent. You believe in him whom he sent. Number eight. 
They will not esteem the blood of Jesus. And by that, they will offend the Holy Ghost, which is a very serious matter. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, the Bible says, Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. To not understand Jesus as God is to disregard the clear record of God the Father, the testimony of God the Holy Ghost, and to disregard the blood of that man at Calvary as an unholy thing. It will offend the Holy Ghost. Number nine, if you do not believe the Trinity, you're in danger of the spirit of Antichrist and rejecting the record of God which alone can save your life. I want you to turn here. It's in 1 John chapter 5. And this is the comments of John. And he says this in verse 1. Whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loves him. And just notice that. Everyone that believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. We're going to go into this. But the Christ is the promised one, the anointed one. The one that Isaiah prophesied, all of the prophets prophesied, but Isaiah said it so wonderfully. Unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and he is the mighty God, the everlasting Father. There was no mistaking as to who this Christ is, all right? So if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, he is that prophesied one, then you're born of God. And you love him, you also love those that are begotten of him. Verse 2, but, but by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith, who is he that overcomes the world but he that believes that Jesus is the son of God. Now, I want to make a comment here, all right? And the comment that I want to make here that we are going to understand and study is that some people might argue, well, we're all sons of God, that we are the children of God and we're the sons of God and you're the daughters of God. So it's nothing to say that Jesus is the son of God. But in every context that you read it in, and again, I don't have to be a deep theologian. To understand this, I can understand it in simplicity. John 3.16 makes it simple for any baby. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. Now that word begotten means his one of a kind, unique, only one like him, son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That begotten, not made, not created, but came out and came into this world. That's what begotten means. And so when, when it's talked about here to believe him to be the son of God, you're talking about like nature. You're talking about equality. We all would say that we're the children of God. We're the sons of God. But nobody here would dare say that they're equal to God. Nobody here would dare claim equality with God. Nobody here would dare claim to be eternal. You're not eternal. You're immortal, but you're not eternal. You had a beginning. But God's eternal. He had no beginning. And he'll have no end. You're immortal because you were created and you'll never have an end. But God never had a beginning or an end. And, and, and the claim of Jesus Christ is, I am his son. I am equal. I am like nature. I am of like essence. I am of like being and like state and like character with like attributes. That's what I am. And so when, when Jesus would say this and the Jews would want to stone him, it wasn't because he was saying that he was the son of God like maybe Abraham would be or like Moses would be or like some believing Jew would be. He was saying he was the son of God because he was of the same quality, the same essence, the same power, the same being as God the Father himself. And that's what Jesus was claiming. This is what you have to believe. According to 1 John chapter 5, 
if you're going to overcome. You believe, verse 5, that Jesus is the Son of God. You believe that. This is He that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that bears witness because the Spirit is truth. Now, I'm just going to put this in here as another point of the Trinity. The Spirit is truth, right? And now we're speaking of the Spirit. And the Spirit is something separate than Jesus, but they're all one. But He's separate than Jesus because He gives witness to Jesus. And the Bible says that the Spirit is truth. And Jesus said he is truth, speaking of himself. So if Jesus is truth and the spirit is truth, then it just shows the equality of the son and the spirit. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the father, the word and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. There are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit, water and blood. These three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. This is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. He that believes on the son of God has the witness in himself. He that believes not God has made him a liar because he believes not the record that God gave of his son. Do you see how important it is that you and I believe correctly about the person of Jesus Christ? Because if we do not believe accurately on the person of Jesus Christ, then we're not believing the record of God. And if you don't believe the record of God, what are you guilty of? Calling God a liar. That's serious business, guys. That's ser- blaspheming the Holy Ghost and the witness that he bears of the Son. That's serious thing. That's serious stuff with God. And then you know you have to believe accurately about the Father. You have to believe accurately about Him because John seventeen three, this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom He sent. So you have to know this accurately. And the only way you can accurately know it is, don't go read somebody's book. Read the Bible. Read what the Bible says about God, about the nature of God, the being of God. And if it blows your mind, great. He's bigger than you. And you can't fit him in your mind, but just believe it. I believe there's a father. I believe there's a son. I believe there's a Holy Ghost because it tells me that. I, I can't understand that. I can't get my mind around that, but I sure have faith to believe that. And I believe Jesus is God. And I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And I believe the Father is God. And I believe the Holy Ghost is God. And I believe they're one. I believe because that's what the Bible tells me, that God is one. Verse 11, this is the record that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that has the Son has life, and he that has not the Son of God has not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And then notice, if you would, verse 20. And we know that the Son of God is come. And has given us an understanding. We know that the Son of God is come. And has given us an understanding. That we may know Him that is true. And we are in Him that is true. Even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God. And eternal life. Now, we know that speaking of Jesus... Because we just read in verses 11 through 13, if you have the Son, you have life. And the Son is eternal life. Who's the true God? The Father who gave the Son. The Son who's indwelling in your life is eternal life. This is the true God. This is eternal life. This is Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. And so these are nine reasons. You could probably get more. But I think these are sufficient and serious enough for a person to not lightly tread upon the revelation of the being of God in his word. And it should be something that you're very diligent in the Bible to know. And and the reason we are coming into this is because of such a growing, it's like a revival of oneness that is spreading across the land. 
and spreading across Europe and spreading everywhere. You, you may not have encountered it, but I guarantee you, you're going to encounter Your kids are going to encounter it in school. They're going to encounter it where they go. I mean, it is a resurgence and the devil would love to bring this back because you see the danger. Of not properly understanding who the Father is, who the Son is, who the Holy Spirit is. There's a grave danger. Eternal life is on the line if we don't understand that. Calling God a liar is on the line. And Jesus simply said, if you don't know who I am, if you don't know who I am by what Moses wrote, then it doesn't matter what I tell you. You're not going to understand what I have to say. And I promise you this. You look at this. People who bring Jesus into question. People who bring the Trinity into question. People who want to challenge the, the Trinity or the deity of Jesus Christ. I, you watch. I promise you they will begin to question other biblical doctrines. They will question them. They will bring suspicion into them. Begin to not believe them themselves. And, and that's a very dangerous thing. I'm going to close with this. I want to close with attributes that belong to God. And we'll pick up with this next week. But I want to give you this because this is wonderful. And you're going to find all of these attributes in these three persons. And that's why we have a trinity. Because only three persons in the Bible are revealed or declared with these attributes and these names and these, these abilities. The attributes belong to God. He is eternal. He is uncreated and he is the creator of all things. God very clearly says that I, God, have created everything by myself. I made it. Nobody else helped him. Nobody else was there with him. So when you see that in in Genesis 1, let us make man in our image. Who is he talking? Somebody wants to bring some angel into that, like Jehovah Witnesses, or somebody wants to bring some man up into that. God said in the book of Isaiah, I created everything by myself. All right. So we'll see that's very important. He is omnipotent, meaning he is almighty, all powerful. He is omniscient. He has never learned anything. He can't learn anything. He just knows it. It's amazing. He never discovers anything. He's never surprised. He's never amazed. He never wonders. He just, he's, he knows everything. Absolutely phenomenal. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. He is holy. He is wise. He is immutable. He is inerrant. He is infallible. He is just. He is right. He is undiminished. He is sovereign. He is unlimited. He prophesies, and this is a tremendous declaration of God in his word. He alone prophesies, no other being does. And the last one that I would say tonight is, he is love. He is love. God is love. Isn't that a wonderful attribute of our, of our God? He is love. And that is, that is the, I'm going to say this, his love is the preeminence of his essence. And that is marvelous. Of our God. His love is, is the preeminence of his essence. I'll, I'll say it this way. We're, we're going to go into all these things next week. But I'll say it this way. With his love being the preeminence of all of his essence. It just simply means this. If God can be. If God can show justice. Or if he can show mercy. Mercy trumps justice every time. Because love is the essence of his being. By which all other virtues come. God is just because he's love. And if God were not just, there would be a creation that is filled with injustice, which would do damage. But God loves us too much and he loves his creation too much to allow injustice to go on because of love. So everything comes through his love. Everything, every virtue, every act, everything comes out of his love. Even with the wicked, he weeps over them to their dying day, crying out, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Why, oh man, will you die? The love of God, always, always there, always strong. Thank God. Well, it's enough for today. Father, I thank you so much. That you've revealed yourself. Because we could never know you any other way. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you're great. And you're lofty. And you're holy. And you're mighty. And you're powerful. And you're loving God. 
I thank you for your essence. I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that when we have faith in, in how you have disclosed yourself to us, we don't have to worry about, well, can we worship the Holy Ghost or can we worship Jesus or can we worship the Father? We worship you, God. When we're worshiping God, we're worshiping the Spirit. We're worshiping the Father. We're worshiping the Son. And I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, that you will help us, God, to, to know you, to understand you, to be rooted in in you, God, as you have revealed yourself, let us be as simplistic as babies, God, that you might reveal these things to us. Let us not confuse or try to confound or try to be bright or try to be brilliant. But God, give us the faith to just simply declare, I believe what your word says and who you are. I believe that. I see that. I believe that. You declare that. I believe that. And Father, help us. To be great believers. We love you so much tonight God. And we desire to worship you. And desire to honor you. In the name of Jesus. I thank you God. Amen. Isn't he a wonderful God? You know. The, 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 the awesome thing. We're going to actually see him with our own eyes. You know Job. When he was. Going through so many trials. And so many tests. And despaired of life. He would not curse God because he had this hope that I myself, with my eyes, I'm going to see my Redeemer. I mean, that is going to be the most marvelous thing you've ever, ever experienced. And you know what's so wonderful? It'll never get old. It'll never get old. I believe God has disclosed himself to us in the person of his Son. And I believe the Holy Ghost has come to show us the Son. That's what Jesus said. And we can, we can know God more and more and more and draw close to God. And I pray that you'll study this. I pray that you will look in the scriptures. You don't need to go to books to try to find things. That Just go to the word. The truth doesn't need any support other than the Bible. But error always has to go to some other resource. To develop its point. It can't stay in the Bible. The Bible will prove it wrong. Stay in the word. Stay in the word. And believe the Holy Ghost. To give you revelation. Open the Bible. Sit there before God. And pray. Holy Ghost. Show me. Show me yourself. Show me Jesus. Show me the Father. Let me see. And be ready. Be ready. Because when you see. And that light comes, you'll see yourself what you really are. You'll see how beautiful he is. And you'll be amazed at his love like you've never been because you'll see how awful you are. And he loves you. And he saves you. And he redeems you.